Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Coming up on this week's episode, a Russian hacker group has breached Microsoft email accounts. Also, several high-profile vulnerabilities are now under active exploitation. And a company who uses an AI chatbot for customer service had to disable the bot after it swore at a customer. For this and more, keep listening to this episode of the podcast, which of course, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. And that includes Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. Control up. Happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Microsoft has disclosed that they were breached by a Russian cyber gang. In fact, it is reportedly the same gang who was responsible for the infamous SolarWinds breach. According to Microsoft's own post, they stated, quote, Beginning in late November 2023, the threat actor used a password spray attack to compromise a legacy non-production test tenant account and gain a foothold, and then used the account's permissions to access a very small percentage of Microsoft corporate email accounts, including members of our senior leadership team and employees in our cybersecurity, legal, and other functions, and exfiltrated some emails and attached documents. According to WindowsCentral.com, the group was keen on accessing information related to itself. This is reminiscent of the SolarWinds ploy that it deployed on U.S. agencies back in 2020 to find out the plans and measures the U.S. government had in place to mitigate its attacks. Microsoft's investigation suggests the hackers couldn't access data belonging to customers or the company's sophisticated AI systems. Microsoft is currently notifying employees whose emails were compromised and putting elaborate measures in place to prevent the reoccurrence of such an incident. It'd be very, very interesting to find out uh, which email accounts of senior leadership were compromised during this attack. I wonder if it goes as high as uh, CEO Satya Nadella. We'll have to wait and see if that's disclosed. Fair warning, (laughs) there's a lot of security related stories. And I'm going to try and get through some of them pretty quickly because they're mostly updates to previous stories covered on the podcast. But first up, VMware has confirmed that a critical vCenter server remote code execution vulnerability that was patched in October is now under active exploitation. It's labeled as CVE-2023-34048, and with it, attackers can exploit it remotely in low-complexity attacks with high confidentiality, integrity, and availability impact that doesn't require authentication or user interaction. So it's certainly an attractive vulnerability for attackers to use, and they are doing just that. Also now under active exploitation, is vulnerability labeled as CVE-2023-35082, which is a remote unauthenticated API access vulnerability in Avanti Endpoint Manager Mobile and Mobile Iron Core device management software. 
This is EMM version 11.10, 11.9, and 11.8 that's vulnerable, and Mobile Iron Core version 11.7. So beware if you use those products. These vulnerabilities are being actively exploited, and this is a remote unauthenticated API access vulnerability, so it is very easy to use for these attackers. The recent WebKit confusion issue that attackers could exploit to gain code execution on targeted devices that was disclosed by Apple is also under active exploitation. This could impact iPhones, Macs, and Apple TVs. Successful exploitation enables threat actors to execute arbitrary malicious code on devices running vulnerable iOS, macOS, and tvOS versions after opening a malicious web page. So if you use any of these device types, patch. The US CISA has urged Citrix Netscaler customers to patch their recent remote code execution vulnerabilities within a week. This is no surprise, as stated on several episodes of the podcast, that the likes of products from VMware, Citrix, Ivanti, Microsoft with Exchange, and so on, they're public-facing products by their nature, so they're considered low-hanging fruit for cyber gangs. So they get a lot of focus for having cyber attacks launched against vulnerabilities that are disclosed in such products. Um, so it just makes sense that cyber gangs will try to quickly turn around exploits involving vulnerabilities within these types of products. So the best time to patch, unfortunately, is yesterday. Um, you know, it's kind of difficult because these tend to be very mission critical products too, like exchange companies can't really operate without their email. Um, Citrix and VMware products, VMware for infrastructure side supports so much critical infrastructure within organizations. Citrix, you know, recently, I believe there was a bank that even the bank telling staff uh, required their Citrix desktops. And if that goes down, they can't work. So all of this is critical infrastructure. And unfortunately, it's also a prime target for cyber attacks just by the nature of how they're accessed. So the CISA is correct. And really organizations, they're just going to have to bite the bullet and try to turn around patches and patching of these products quicker than they are currently doing for the most part, or at least based on my recent experience working in enterprise uh, a week would be a dream. Sometimes it does happen. Sometimes it's like coming from on high, patch this tonight and it just gets done. Uh, but often it's not done within a week and it needs to. A security firm called Huntress recently reported attacks by cyber gangs who are using TeamViewer. This is, of course, not the first time that TeamViewer has been used for attacks. And BleepyComputer.com suggests at this time, it's unclear how they have been able to use TeamViewer for the recent attacks, but TeamViewer stated, quote, At TeamViewer, we take the security and integrity of our platform extremely seriously and unequivocally condemn any form of malicious use of our software. Our analysis shows that most instances of unauthorized access involve a weakening of TeamViewer's default security settings. This often includes the use of easily guessable passwords, which is only possible by using an outdated version of our product. We constantly emphasize the importance of maintaining strong security practices, such as using complex passwords, two-factor authentication, allow lists, and regular updates to the latest software versions. These steps are critical in safeguarding against unauthorized access. To further support our customers, 
To further support our users in maintaining secure operations, we've published a set of best practices for secure unattended access, which can be found and they link to it. And we strongly encourage all our users to follow these guidelines to enhance their security posture. So I will say uh, to maybe defend TeamViewer a little bit, uh, I remember when the attacks occurred, I think it was a good few years ago, it might have been six or seven years ago, when it was like a big hot button issue that, oh, TeamViewer is vulnerable. And a lot of people were using TeamViewer just to like remote into their own personal computers even at the time because they had this community edition. There were enterprises who were using it for remote support and so on. So it was a big issue back then. And I believe back then they didn't really have uh, great security features, in my opinion. Uh, but now they've kind of shored up security within the product. So what they're saying probably does ring true of uh, possibly weak passwords and not having things like two-factor authentication or allow lists enabled uh, may be leading to these attacks. But regardless of that, there are attacks. So if you do know people who are using TeamViewer, you may want to make sure that they've got things set up correctly. Aircap, the world's largest aircraft leasing company, has reported a ransomware attack. It is reported by the register.com that the gang have stolen one terabyte of data that includes the personal information belonging to 16.6 million individuals. As the company is publicly traded, the SEC has been informed, an investigation is now underway, and that includes bringing in third-party security experts to assist. So obviously a major target here, and they are publicly disclosing that they've been breached, so... This may be a developing story yet. In the last story, I just mentioned the SEC, our Securities and Exchange Commission. Well, LeapingComputer.com reported that the SEC's Twitter account was hacked through a SIM swapping attack on a mobile phone number associated with their account. And when the attackers gained access, they posted a fake announcement that the agency had finally approved Bitcoin ETFs on security exchanges. And perhaps by coincidence, the SEC actually did approve Bitcoin ETFs in a legitimate announcement just the following day. According to the SEC, the hackers did not have access to the agency's internal systems, data, devices, or other social media accounts, and the SIM swap occurred by tricking their mobile carrier into porting the number. And the matter is still under investigation, so SIM swapping is a method that certainly enterprise customers also need to be aware of as we become more dependable, as we become even more dependent on mobile devices as a source of additional authentication. Certainly a quick hit story here, but Microsoft has hit a milestone as they become the second company ever to top $3 trillion in valuation. And the first company ever was Apple and Microsoft sit on top in terms of companies of valuation in history. Microsoft have added a new feature to Edge called Workspaces that allows users to organize browser tasks in a separate window. In it, they can include favorites for pages critical to a team using a workspace. They can also build up browsing history uh, so pages visited could still be retrieved if team members can no longer come up with the name of a website, for example. Uh, and perhaps most useful, according to techzine.eu, is that in workspaces, you can allow employees in your environment to use tabs together easily for collaboration. 
In order to use the feature, companies must have a Microsoft Entra tenant, a OneDrive for business license, and also be on at least version 114 of Microsoft Edge. And there's also a note in here saying that administrators of the feature also require to be on at least version 114 of Edge as well. So it's not just enough to have 114 out there uh, for the users. Unfortunately, early feedback from users of Microsoft Copilot Pro is mixed at best, with some highlighting performance issues and some extremely slow loading times. Some were suggesting that the cause may be the use of an efficiency mode, but this is not the cause. It has also been suggested that server side issues are ruled out, but it seems like a complete RCA is not complete at the time of scripting this episode. So hopefully Microsoft discloses more information on what's causing these issues soon. There's a post on the Hacker News Forum site that has been getting some attention from someone who alleges to be a former Microsoft employee who worked on their Windows desktop experience team from Windows 7 through to Windows 10. This person goes through some of the difficulties working within Microsoft and working with various different designers as they would rotate them every 6 to 18 months. This person claims they haven't switched to Windows 11 yet, and this is the first release since ME that they haven't switched right away, and details just some problems with the OS in their opinion. Now, the Hacker News form, this could just be BS. This may not actually be a former Microsoft employee, but I thought I'd share it because it is getting some attention, particularly on social media. Professor David L. Mills, best known for his work on NTP, or the Network Time Protocol, which he both invented and first implemented, has unfortunately passed away at the age of 85. NTP, the Network Time Protocol, helps keep computers' clocks in sync, so it's a very important aspect of just computing worldwide because so much is time-based. So condolences to all his friends and family. He certainly left a legacy. Thanks to Tom Fenton for this next one. Uh, he was highlighting on Twitter that VMware has officially announced the dates for VMware Explorer 2024. The dates are August 26th through 29th at the Venetian Convention and Expo Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. That's for the US one. And November 4th through 7th, 2024 in the Fira Gran Via in Barcelona, Spain. My home country of Ireland looks set to finalize guidelines on employee rights to request remote or flexible working. Employers will have grounds to deny the rights, but employers will also have an obligation to consider the needs of employees when evaluating a request for either remote or flexible working. Some talking heads of business groups have been critical of the proposed legislation, which is frankly what you would expect regardless of whether or not it is workable. Uh, hopefully this turns out to be legislation that helps people out. I know certainly there are people uh, who have a need, not just a desire, but a need to continue remote working. And this may give them some recourse to get that. Together with Numescent, I'm launching a video series called Office of the Technologist, where I will be evaluating the latest methodologies, Windows technologies, and industry trends to determine the best approach for delivering and optimizing modern enterprise-grade IT operations. So if you like this podcast, you may enjoy this series. I think we're going to do it probably monthly, and you'll be able to follow that on Numescent's uh, YouTube channel. So go ahead and subscribe to the Numescent channel on YouTube and turn on notifications, and then you won't miss any of those videos. 
So it will be similar to this podcast where I'm sharing opinion and I'll also be diving into various different topics. So it's not going to be just news related. It's going to be a lot of different things. So I hope you'll follow. Thanks to Martin Dews for sharing this last fantastic story of the week. If you're in the UK and Ireland, you will be well aware of DPD, who are a large delivery company. I think they operate in other countries too, so you may still be aware of them. They have become ubiquitous with parcel deliveries in Ireland, even more so than major players like UPS and FedEx in recent years. Well, The Guardian reported that a DPD customer, Ashley Bochamp, was trying to track down a package and use their online chat service to do so. As is common with these chatbots, Ashley wasn't getting anywhere, so he decided to have some fun instead and began to experiment to find out what the chatbot could do. The Guardian reports that Ashley started by asking the bot to tell him a joke, which it did by telling an awful dad joke. Uh, but he kept escalating and even got the bat and even got the bot to write a poem criticizing DPT itself, which he was happy to oblige on. And he even proceeded to coax the bot into cursing, which it also did. DPD acted to disable the chatbot after these screenshots or posts went viral. Whilst Ashley did see the funny side and did eventually get help from someone directly within DPD for his problem. He also did mention to the Guardian the more serious side of this encounter, stating, quote, these chatbots are supposed to improve our lives, but so often when poorly implemented, it just leads to a more frustrating, impersonal experience for the user. I think it's really, I think it really struck a chord with people, end quote. And yeah, I'd agree with that too. There's nothing more frustrating than this chat experience, which really should help to alleviate work from a company's support. But when you're a customer that it just takes forever when you're trying to use the chat service, it returns false information, limited options each time that's not related to what you're asking. It just becomes a real pain and a struggle for customers. So poorly implemented technology like this is pretty much worse than not having or offering the technology at all, in my opinion. So right on, Mr. Ashley Beauchamp. But now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. Only have one item for scripts, tricks, and tips this week. I actually had multiple, but I decided to cut some because I realized the blog posts or the scripts were quite old and I was probably just recycling things I'd already covered before. But the one tip is to check out James Kinden's recent blog post, which is awesome. And it is a tip worthy of standing all on its own in this episode, I find. Uh, the blog post is finding the value in your Citrix investment. So even if you're not a Citrix customer, I find it a really interesting read. Now, it is very comprehensive. It does go into a lot of detail around the various different aspects of the Citrix stack and maybe finding the value in each one. Uh, but even if you don't want to read all of that, Uh, And by the way, I recommend that you do, uh, particularly, I believe there's a point in there about FS logics and changes uh, relating to that. Uh, But further down the blog post, uh, James has like more kind of general discussion. Uh, Some of it's around Azure Virtual Desktop. Some of it's not. Some of it's more general just around uh, desktop as a service and VDI in general and just the way end user computing is going. And I found it really, really insightful. 
he was basically echoing a lot of my own thoughts in his blog post, which I find great because it validates my opinion. Um, I haven't worked uh, in an enterprise IT day-to-day environment uh, for about a year and a half now, I think. So it's good that I haven't lost complete sight or touch, I guess, because James is certainly echoing some of my own sentiments. But yeah, definitely check out James's blog post. Well worth reading. Excellent blog, James. Thank you so much for putting the time into that because I bet it took a long time. It is very comprehensive. But that's it for this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.